Yeah. Whoa. I got to looking around and I thought, hey, they're waiting on me. <laughs> uh, you guys ready to celebrate Jesus this morning? Praise God and have some fun? If you're looking in your bulletin and looking at the different page numbers, we kind of did a switch. So your first page number is not going to be what's in your bulletin because we decided to switch it this morning. But if you'll look in your hymnal, 330, we're going to jump in this morning with an old one that all of us know. And I grew up singing it around the living room with my dad on the guitar and my mom on the piano called Are You Washed in the Blood? 330. So we're going to stand our feet and we're going to take off this morning. No, no, that's mine. You can't have that. Sorry, I got to protect myself. I'm going to need this later. My bottle. Steve's trying to borrow my bottle of water. Yeah, 330 in your hymnal. Uh, so how about we kick it off this morning with saying a great amen all together. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Look at 330 in your hymnal. Are you washed in the blood? those instruments going isn't it great to be in God's house turn to someone next to you and say praise God come in on the course Will your soul be ready for the man? 
are your garments spotless are they white as snow are you washed in the blood of the lamb amen good morning everyone yeah have a seat if you want to uh let's pray so father in heaven we do come before you. I want to thank you for your grace and mercy, for your kindness. Oh, Lord God, thank you for sacrificing yourself and your son, Jesus Christ, just for us. Lord Jesus, we respect you. We love you. We honor you today. Thank you for your precious life. Thank you for your horrific death, Lord, which gives us life. Thank you for your resurrection from the dead, which gives us hope. Your ascension into heaven, which gives us a picture of what's going to happen when we die. And, Lord God, your intercession to the Father for us. We thank you for that and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Steve Bills is going to come up and share our message this morning, Brother Steve. Thank you very much. Oh, I got water up here. If I got this much water, I may take a break halfway through the sermon to use the bathroom. So. <laughs> By Sunday school, they're going to have more fun than we are. I just, um, I felt jealous. If you have your bulletin, pull your bulletin out. I want to share a couple things with you. I'm going to be preaching this morning or teaching this morning with a, um, something of a script. And I normally don't do that. But what I have to say this morning, I want to make sure I don't leave anything out. But I normally don't teach that way. I'm normally a lot more extemporaneous. And I want you to take your calendar out and circle July 31st, because I'm going to be here July 31st, and we're going to do something completely different that day. But I don't want you to leave with a bad taste in your mouth, because ah, I can't believe you read from a script. I'm not really just reading, but I just want you to know that. And the other thing I want you to notice is that five-day club. I used to direct Child Evangelism Fellowship in the state of Colorado, and there is hardly a ministry any more effective than five-day club or good news clubs. And if you have any children or grandchildren or neighborhood kids that you can invite to, um, to that, bring them to that, um, it'll make uh, all the difference in their lives. I was talking with someone lately about the fact that 85% of all the people who ever come to faith in Christ do it between the ages of 4 and 14. So if we're going to be strategic about reaching the world, we've got to reach them at those ages. It's not that you can't reach someone older than that, it's just a lot more difficult. And the other statistic that I like to quote is that all of the, of all the missionaries and pastors on the field today, 85% of them will say that they first sensed a call to ministry before they were 15 years old. So if we want to um, uh, populate the pews in the mission fields with committed uh, servants, uh, we need to be working on the, that generation. Otherwise, I think we've already lost a couple of generations of pastors and missionaries. Uh, but the five-day club and the Good News Club will give us a way to, um, to re restock the, uh, the pool of pastors. And speaking of pastors, that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, throughout the Bible, we're encouraged to share uh, with our children and our grandchildren, with all the future generations, the faithful working of God in and through our lives. And this constant reminding serves to... 
uh, show us that even when things aren't at the moment working out just like we would want them to, we look back over the history of God's working in our lives, there's no reason to believe that God has forgotten or abandoned us. One of the important steps that a congregation can take when it's journeying with someone who is trying to discern whether or not God is calling them to ministry is to remind them over and over and over again of God's unwavering faithfulness to his wildly diverse children. Uh, you're part of Butte Creek Baptist Church, which is part of the American Baptist Churches of the Central Pacific Coast. We have 80 congregations in our region from uh, Oregon to Central California. And this morning, as we gather today here, those other 79 congregations are worshiping in 10 different languages. That's how diverse just our small region, and there's 34 regions in the American Baptist churches around the country, and we are, we are so diverse, but God is faithful to every single one of his children, regardless of their, their differences. Sometimes this walk down memory lane helps to remind us that God is and has always been faithful to us, regardless of our uh, unique or varied realities. Uh, how many of you brought a Bible with you this morning? Any Bible? Okay. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you, or the chair in front of you. Take it with me and turn to Psalm chapter 78, or more accurately, Psalm 78. There's really not chapters in the book. This is a really long psalm, and we're not going to preach all of it, but we are going to preach the beginning and the end. So I want you to read with me um, silently as I read verses 1 through 4. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings or riddles of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Now notice this. We will not hide them from our children, telling them to the generations to come the praises of God and his strength and his wonderful works which we, he has done. That's how far I wanted to go. So Psalm 78 is written by David's song leader, Asaph. You've heard of Asaph. And he's reminding us that as individuals, we're blessed when we take time to count our many blessings. Do we ever sing that song, Count Your Many Blessings? All right. Um, when we do an inventory of the special ways that God has made his constant presence actually felt to us, you know, we're aware that God is always with us, but sometimes the things that God does seems like he's going out of his way to make sure that he is intentional about causing us to feel and sense his presence. Sometimes, however, we don't know that in that moment, God has supernaturally chosen to interfere in our time and in our space. And those moments of counting those blessings and realizing that God is not just an a uh, disinterested bystander watching our lives, but he's actually involved in them on a daily moment-by-moment -moment basis. Um, when we take time to look back, and I don't know if you do this often, but I take time to look back, it becomes apparent to me that what happened was no coincidence. At the very least, God was able to work all things together for good. 
the things that happened to me at the time might have not, at the moment, made any sense to me. I look back over my life, I can see that God has had his hand clearly at work in my life to prepare me for the next step in my journey. There are clear indications that what made no sense to me at the moment, God was clearly molding me and shaping me for not only my current work, but also, perhaps more importantly, what he knew I would be facing in the years and decades to come. At the end of this very same psalm, David's music director, Asaph, draws our attention to this vocational connection between David's past and his kingly reign. The last three verses can provide us with some helpful applications as we reflect on God's call and hand on each of our lives that are those of us who are here this morning. So I told you we're going to start at the beginning, now we're going to go to the very end, and we're going to read the last three verses, 70 through 72. Is that the last three or just near the end? Yeah, yeah okay. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So I'm going to give you three words, and at the end of the day, I'm going to see if you can remember them. No, I'm just teasing. We were talking earlier about uh, uh, your wellness check, where they give you three words, and then later they say, what are those three words? And if you don't remember them, they try to make you feel like you're, you're losing it. Um, but as a good Baptist sermon, I've got three points. So the first one is, in verse, seven, verse 70, God chose David. He chose David, his servant. And I point out to my students when I taught in the Bible college, there are some vocations that one simply does not choose. The vocation, or the God of the vocation, chooses you. James chapter 3, we're reminded by James, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we teachers are going to receive a stricter judgment. I always told, told the students in, the, in my Bible college classes that if you're considering ministry, ask yourself, could you be satisfied doing anything else? And my advice always is, if you could be, then do that. Don't think that you have to choose to be a pastor in order to be an important servant in God's work because there's a lot more need for faithful lay people than there are for faithful pastors. You get one pastor, 50 people. We need those 50 people just as much as we need the one pastor. When someone says, maybe you've heard this, um, I think there's a calling on your life. What they're generally saying is that they've observed in you the gifts and the traits and the passions and the sensitivities that must be present in someone who is going to be effective as a leader in the church. When churches see someone developing this way in their midst, they ought to be intentional about encouraging that person to consider whether or not God might be calling them into the ministry. Maybe God wants you to be a missionary. Maybe God wants you to be a pastor. Maybe God wants you to teach in a Christian school. Who knows what God wants you to do, but we sense a call on your life. We sense that God is working in a special way to make it clear that 
he's got something for you to do. In Baptist circles, when this happens, the local church might license that person or ordain that person uh, because they're demonstrating a clear gifting and calling of God. And this is a time of mutual discernment. Um, I keep referring to what I told my students, but I would rather wash a student out of Bible college than unleash an uncalled person on the church. So when I say this is a, a case of mutual discernment, if you say to yourself, or you say out loud, I think God is calling me into the ministry, and none of the people you know agree with you, <laughs> you better really reconsider that. It's, the church is here to help someone discern, and it's a mutual discernment. If people aren't saying to you, I think there's a call in your life, then maybe there's not. So be careful. I unfortunately have seen in my life uh, pastors who probably shouldn't, probably should have found something else to do. Um, being a pastor in the church is something that God chooses. And Ephesians chapter 4 says God has given to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's God's, I hate to say this, uh, because a lot of pastors think they are God's gift to the world, but the pastor is God's gift to the church. It's, it's a gifted person who is a gift to the church. Colossians, um, well, Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. We all have different natural talents. We all have different spiritual gifts. We all have unique personality traits. Regardless of what you're paid to do, you'll be judged by God to determine to, determine to what extent you maximize the gifts that he gave you. I knew a guy that used to own the biggest marina in Miami who was a faithful member of his church. And he would share his faith with people all the time. Vendors would come. He'd have gospel tracts. He'd have, you know, signs up in the office that would inevitably start conversations. But when he was out on the street passing out literature and, you know, the guy that washed his window at the gas station or whatever, um, and people would say, well, you know, what do you do for a living? And he would say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and I sell boats to pay the bills. So he did not define himself by the job that he had to make money. He defined himself as a person who was gifted and called by God to be a faithful maker of disciples. And we are all that. So be whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. God is going to look at your life and determine whether or not you were faithful. And your faithfulness will determine the role to which you play when... You are standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and God is trying to determine who he'll put over five cities or put over ten cities in his coming kingdom. Now let me say that there's no real distinction between clergy and laity in Baptist theology, other than function. Uh, ordained clergy persons are not holier. They don't have a better connection with the man upstairs than do the people in the pews. Uh, we're all in full-time Christian service. And if you don't write anything else down from the sermon, write that down. We are all in full-time Christian service. I quoted to you Ephesians chapter 4. 
The pastor is a gift to the church to equip the saints to know their Bible better. It's not what it says. The pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. If your church is going to grow, it's not because the pastor is the one bringing all, the, all your neighbors in. It's because you're bringing all your neighbors in. It's the pastor's job simply to equip you to do that. That's the difference in Baptist theology. We recognize that God has given to the church equippers, whether they're evangelists or pastors or teachers. I'm not sure we have so many apostles today. But that is the, the unique part of the difference between a pastor and a, and, a, um, and a lay person is that God has called them, God has chosen them. So that was the first part in, in verse 70. God chose David. Number two, God built on David's prior experience. And this is cool if you pay attention to it. Verse 70, the second part of verse 70 and verse 71, it says, He took him from. God took David from the sheepfolds. He took him from following the ewes that had young. And he brought him to shepherd not different sheep, but to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. There will often be times when what a pastor does or what a teacher does has an uncanny resemblance to what the pastor or teacher might have done before God called them to ministry. I'm sure as Pastor Steve reflects on the path that has taken him to this point, they, he can see skills and values and abilities that have been instilled and exercised and polished in all of his previous experiences, before and after he came to faith in Christ. Um, as you reflect on your quote-unquote secular experiences, you can see some correlation between um, the spiritual work that you're asked to do and what skills and abilities you learned before you maybe even came to Christ. Um, after all, there are some similarities between fishing for fish and fishing for men. So if you know how to do certain things, obviously my mom as a, um, as a public school teacher used those skills as a Sunday school teacher and an educator. Um, we have people in the church that need administrative and financial and other skills and abilities, and we, we trust them to apply their natural talents, their acquired skills, their spiritual gifts, their personality traits to the work that we ask them to do in the church. I have an interim pastor that I use, um, and have used in probably 10 different churches, who prior to sensing a call to ministry later in life, worked for years in a temp agency would go into a company and be a temporary accountant or a temporary receptionist or a temporary HR person. And so when they were called to ministry, they went to the dean at the seminary where they were putting together the MDiv program and said, I feel a call to interim transitional ministry to help churches move from pastor to pastor during the interim period. And so, the prior experience in understanding the importance of someone being able to come in for short term on a temporary basis to fill a need 
carried over to the call to ministry and now works as an interim pastor. And I've used them probably in 10 different interims in three different states. Wonderful correlation between what they did before they were even a Christian and what they sense God calling them to do today. So we had David was called by God. Uh, God used David's previous experience in life to um, uh, use those skills in his new job. He was a shepherd of sheep. Now he's a shepherd of people. The third point is God's, excuse me, David's character and David's talent both contributed to his success. Verse 72. So he, David, shepherded them, Israel, according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Um, the philosopher Sartre said, to do is to be. The philosopher Socrates said, to be is to do. The philosopher Frank Sinatra said, do be, do be, do. <laughs> Who you are, you like that, right? <laughs> Who you are affects what you do and how you do it. And so both the integrity of your heart and the skillfulness of your hands are important because God wants to use both. He doesn't want a genuinely good person who can't do anything well. And he doesn't want someone who has all the skills and the ability, but they're a scoundrel. God wants to use both of those, and that's why he chooses whom he will to be the servant that he uses in certain situations. Now, in integration, I don't know if you ever thought about this, this, the etymology of these words. Integration is when everything is unified. All right, you've heard of integration. Disintegration, when something is disintegrated, it's when everything has become separated. So integration, disintegration, integrity comes from integration. Integrity is what you have when what you say and what you do harmonize. Your integrity is who you are when there's no one around to see what you do. David screwed up a lot. But he was a man after God's own heart and every time he screwed up, he immediately went before God and confessed his sin and asked for forgiveness. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. I get more calls from churches who have complaints about the pastor who's on some kind of a power trip than I ever get calls from churches about a pastor who won't do anything. Most of our pastors are workaholics and they are genuinely acting on the calling that they had from God. But we do have some that are scoundrels and we have to deal with that. And those are usually folks who appointed themselves to the ministry rather than letting God call, call them that. One cannot be an effective shepherd without having consistency in their life. If you're known for living differently than how you're encouraging other people to live, your encouragement is going to fall on deaf ears. David's character and David's uh, talent both were what God needed to use. The natural talents and even the spiritual gifts that we possess 
can and must be exercised and polished. I've seen people with the gift of teaching, but they're very intentional about becoming better teachers. They study, they learn, not just the material, but the act and the process of teaching. The skillfulness of David's hands refers to the practical outworking of his shepherding skills. Who knows what God might be having you do today that will turn out to be preparation for what he wants to use you to do in the future. How many of you, just show a hand, can think of something that you do today that you learned to do much earlier and when you were learning to do it, you thought, this is silly, this is a waste of time. I spent more time flipping hamburgers, wondering why God was having me do certain things. And as I think back, I have more illustrations from my hamburger grill days than almost anything else. <laughs> dealing with people, dealing with adversity, are things that God uses in your life because he knows where he's taking you long before you can even imagine it. When we encourage women and men upon whom we sense God's calling to go to Bible college or seminary, we're acknowledging that it takes study. It takes work to develop the skillfulness necessary to be fully utilized in God's service. The successful pastoral leaders that we see today are those who have, encouraged, who have embraced a philosophy of being a lifelong learner. Uh, I can go into one of my pastor's offices and probably within two minutes of looking at his office tell you within two or three years of when he graduated from seminary. Because he hasn't bought a new book since then. So I could, but then there are others, my, my, um, my lifelong learning pastors that are constantly, they're sending, oh, you watch this YouTube, watch this. Uh, we're taking this online class. You should, you know, join us. We have something for continuing ed. They're the first people to sign up. They're not content with remaining uh, stagnant in whatever state their education was when they received that sheepskin. They need to continue to learn and develop. They're aware that they can always improve. They need to be fully engaged in, in life in order to be most effective in ministering to the community. Many of our pastors have a reputation for being the ivory tower types. They couldn't change a flat tire if their life depended on it. They don't know how to jumpstart a car. They've never tilled a garden. They couldn't paint their house. They just have no real life skills. Um, and they don't relate to their neighbors because, uh, don't get me started. So <laughs> I'm gonna conclude the sermon with two passages of scripture. I'm just gonna read them. One is from the end of the first epistle to Timothy. One is from the end of the second epistle to Timothy. If you're taking notes, it's 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 15, and 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. And these are not from my normal version of the Bible. This is from a more uh, conversational version. So don't even try to follow along. Just listen to this. This is Paul talking to Timothy. If you remember, Paul is the one who ordained Timothy. Timothy was his uh, protege, his uh, disciple in the faith. And um, we even, we talk about uh, uh, young pastors when they go to a church. We encourage them to find a Paul who will mentor them, but also to find a Timothy that they can mentor. So this is Paul's final words at the end of two epistles to Timothy. Verse uh, 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, 
in your love, your faith, and your purity. Focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, and you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, probably a five-day club, and they have, been given, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it the scriptures, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to, as Paul did to Timothy, lay hands on two of your pastoral leaders. I'm going to ask PK if he will come up. PK is going to read the scriptures that Jesus um, uh, spoke to his uh, disciples about ordination and then I'm going to ask one at a time for these two men to come up. Okay. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he added, in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Baptist or generally low church, we don't have, for the most part, the pipe organs and the robed pastors. But on very special occasions, I will wear my stole. Um, Easter Sunday, uh, weddings, and ordinations. The reason I wear this is because it is reminding me of the cloth that Jesus tied around his waist when he washed the disciples' feet. The stole is not a sign that somehow the pastor is above you. It's actually a sign that the pastor is your servant and will wash the feet of those that God has called them to serve. So we're going to be doing um, both the ordination of Pastor Steve and of music minister John, and he will be henceforth known from now on as Pastor John. Uh, but I'm going to ask Steve if he will come up first, and I have a... Uh, set of vows that I'm going to ask Steve if he will respond in the affirmative to, and then we're going to ask him to sit down because we're nice and his back is awful, and we're going to lay hands on him and we're going to pray over him and for him 
as we put the ordination of Butte Creek Baptist Church on his shoulders. Steve, do you believe the Bible to be the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and given to mankind to be carefully interpreted and personally applied? Do you purpose always to present the truths of the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible? If so, you may answer, I do. I do. Are you willing to take up the cross of our, as our Lord commanded and sacrifice yourself as needed in order to be a good and faithful servant? Are you willing to spend much time in prayer and in seeking direction from the Lord so that you can serve heartily as unto the Lord? If so, you may answer, I am. I am. Is it your intention to so live day by day that your life will be an example of the believer in behavior, in word, and in deed? Is it your intention to sacrifice your liberties in activities when you know that they would be offensive to others? If so, you may answer, it is. It is. Will you constantly submit to the Spirit of God for His filling and preach and teach as He directs and endeavor to love people as Jesus loves them? If so, you may answer, I will. I will. Let's find a seat for you here. Oh, yeah. P.K. and I are going to lay hands on you and pray. Father, we thank you for Pastor Steve and for his life of ministry and service to you through this church and in other places. We thank you for the clear gifts and calling that we see on his life. We thank you for the uh, obvious preparation that we see as he teaches and preaches. We thank you for his faithfulness and we now lay our hands on him in sign and symbol that we as a congregation are putting our ordination into the gospel ministry on Pastor Steve. We ask your blessing on him and all that you call him to do today and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. After 25 years, you think it would happen finally. Yeah. directs 
and endeavor to love people as Jesus loves them? If so, you may answer, I will. I will. So I'm going to ask you to stand in front of us. Steve can stay seated, and he now can lay hands on you from the seated position. And PK and I will also lay hands on you. Father John also has demonstrated throughout the time we've known him that he has been a committed and faithful follower of Jesus. We thank you for his commitment and his willingness to use his talents, his resources, his God-given abilities, and his spiritual gifting to serve the Church of Jesus Christ. We thank you that his work here has been selfless and that his knowledge of the scriptures and his love for you and for uh, praising you through worship has become evident. We now as a congregation are laying our hands on him and ordaining him into the gospel ministry. We ask your blessing on him both now and in the future, wherever it is and however it is that you've asked him to serve you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to, uh, I think, have a closing song or benediction, and then I'm going to ask these two men to stay up here, maybe come down to the front, and ask you to come by and shake their hands, thank them, and congratulate them for not only their years of service, but on the fact that we have now recognized them uh, to the point where we have ordained them. So are you going to lead us in a closing hymn? All right. Let's do I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what page it's on and it caught me by surprise, but let's stand together and hold hands with that person closest to you and maybe across the aisle if you feel comfortable and, and uh, we'll just sing it, sing it together. Sing it together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed by the fountain. Cleansed by His blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you.